Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. You know what I say is all of our business to really take some time out to do some serious thinking, to do some serious reading. That's part of having a well-rounded life. And so we love having best-selling authors on. And we've got a, we've got a great one uh, today with uh, Philippa uh, Gregory with us, the author of many New York Times best-selling novels. We love our series with New York Times best-selling uh, authors. Uh, welcome to the program, uh, Philippa. You've got this series. It's essentially a series going on. This seems to be the, the latest in that called uh, Don Lens. And uh, your impact as a writer is so obvious by the way the book is designed with your title, with your name way bigger than the name of the book itself. I mean, it's like, easy to find because, uh, you know, for those who are looking for books by you, to me that's a great testament about your work, and your work is fascinating. It really is. Thank you. I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's very exciting. It's like in the movies when you go above the title, you go like, yes, that, that's significant. I have arrived is what that says to me. Uh, it's phenomenal. Let's talk about uh, the series first. Give us, a, give us an overview of, of the series real quick. Well, it, I mean, I would think it actually might be quite of interest to your uh, listeners because it's it's really in the sort of the big picture. It's the story of how a poor English class, working class family in 1640 rise to become imperial traders in 1900. But we haven't got that far yet. We've done 1640 in which... Uh, our heroine is expelled from her village because of suspicions about her behavior. She's a midwife, and this is a time of, um, you know, the witch trials, and so people suspect her. So book two, Dark Tides, finds her running a small warehouse on the side of the Thames, and this is book three, Dawnlands, where the business has expanded to uh, Barbados, uh, to Venice, and to New England as the various members of her family go abroad and take with them uh, the trading opportunities. At the same time, this is a time of incredible conflict in England with a new king on the throne who intends to take the church back to Rome to become a Roman Catholic country again, and the people rise up against him. And this trading family is divided in their loyalties with one member in the glamorous royal court, which is drifting towards Roman Catholicism, and the other family absolutely staunchly parliamentary Church of England and keen on the liberties of the people. Yeah, and, you know, and a lot of people who aren't familiar with British history uh, you know, may not realize that, uh, you know, this kind of echoes with some of your actual history when you look at, at Queen Mary and, and uh, that effort. Um, to me, this is uh, what I love about your work is that it's, it's so rooted in reality while taking directions that reality did not go. It's fascinating. Well, I think one of the things is that a lot of the history of England, uh, people kind of just skip in school or just don't know. So if you write a book about as I have done, set in the period of Elizabeth I, then you can count on a readership who at least knows who you're talking about. But this book, which is set in an equally interesting and glamorous court, uh, that of James II and Mary of Medina, is hardly known at all. So you have, as a historian, to do a bit more explanation of what you're talking about, and you have, as a fiction writer, a bit more of an obligation to make it genuinely interesting and lively. 
Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, uh, our guest today is considered an authority in women's history. And so I love how you bridge all of that uh, together. And so now you have the most recent one. And what was the actual release date on that, and uh, where do we go from there with this? Uh, The book is Dawnlands. It's out now. Uh, You can buy it in any independent bookshop or chain store or probably anywhere at all. Uh, It's also available uh, as an audio book, as an e-book, and uh, I believe that you can get it anywhere, probably in the world actually today, but certainly anywhere in America. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm curious, you know, when you look at a, a series like this, it's been so phenomenally successful, and the resources that you have background-wise and history-wise I mean, this literally could continue for quite some time. You know, can you give us a preview of where you see this going? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it'll outlive me, to be honest. So uh, when I started doing it, I wanted to take it right the way through the British Empire and through the war years, uh, which really signaled the decline of the wealthy bourgeois classes in some ways uh, in in England. I wanted to get to about 1920, ideally. Um, So I kind of wanted to get into Foresight Saga territory. You know, I wanted to get to that sort of end of empire sort of period. Um, And... uh, then I discovered that I love the characters so much that I can't bear to leave them. So I seem to be doing a generation at a time, which is every 25 years. Now, we started in 1640. It's going to take me forever to get to 1920. And I honestly don't know that I will, you know, not die before I, before I finish. But I'm going to give it a good shot. Gonna give it a good shot, and of course, if you really want to get to the formal end of the empire, you kind of go to have to go through uh, World War Two and the end of World War Two, where you know they simply concluded that uh, we have just really overextended ourselves. I mean, you're right; that whole process began at the end of World War One, but it, you know, it, a lot of change happened in the in the war years and immediately after in this empire business. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think because I'm in nature and in experience, uh, medieval and uh, early modern historian, I ca- when you get up to World War Two, I go like, that's so modern, you know, I can hardly be bothered with it. We don't know how it's going to end. You know? <laughs> so, so, yeah, um, I'm yes. probably better stopping around about 1920 if I get that far. Talk a little bit, because you've been writing for for a long time and continue to write. Uh, Talk a little bit about the fact that you have a very strong message and a very strong uh, understanding of women in history, and as ubiquitous, I think, in your writing. Uh, Talk about, has that focus or approach to it changed over the years in your writing? Um, Because there's been a lot of changes in attitudes about women that I think uh, largely are in the right direction. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's changed very much. I think when I started writing, I mean, the first novel that I wrote was about a fictional woman, but the first novel that I wrote about a historical woman was The Other Boleyn Girl. And at the time, almost nothing was known about Mary Boleyn, but quite a lot was known about her sister Anne Boleyn. And I thought that I would write a novel from the point of view of the lesser-known sister and that that would be difficult to research but wonderful to fictionalize. And since then, as I've written about other women, some royal, but quite a lot of commoners, it's become clear to me that 
there is a massive gulf where the history of women should be. And it doesn't matter whether they're wealthy or poor. It doesn't matter whether they're elite or aristocrats or royals or working class. Still, their history has not been thoroughly researched and definitely not thoroughly told. So I kind of by inclination uh, and also by experience, I've just found myself gravitating more and more to the stories that haven't been told in the belief that what we have at the moment, which we think of as a national history, is actually a history of half the nation. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's, of course, what we, we, we have a lot of that here in the United States where we talk about entire ethnic groups that simply haven't been covered in our history. They're just, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, that, that's fascinating. Absolutely. Talk a little bit, talk about the attitudes of writing. I mean, you're, you're, I, I think your biggest seller uh, is um, uh, The Other Boiling uh, Sister, uh, I mean, The Other Boiling Girl. That came out in uh, 2001. Um, but even in 20 years, seems that things seem to have changed significantly when it came, comes to the way women are treated in general. How, how about in writing? Um, I think there's been an understanding that uh, women's story is going to be greater than the story of their emotional life or their uh, reproductive life. I think there's a, a real understanding that the history that maybe hasn't been told very clearly it, it, that there is more to be researched and more to be told about it. And I think there's a willingness now, particularly of historical fiction writers, to write more rounded characters as women. We are no longer, are women, the reward for the hero at the end of the story, which, I mean, definitely we were. Uh, if I look at the historical fiction of a generation before me, I think now there's an acceptance that women were in the world running businesses, being entrepreneurs, taking risks, being criminals, uh, but there's all sorts of activities that were open to historical women, which gradually the historians are researching and the novelists are translating into fiction. So it's a much more rounded picture, I think, than it was. Yeah, Philippa Gregory, she's our guest today. I really appreciate our time and a fascinating conversation. Dawn Lands is her latest work. It's a novel, and that's what she is noted for. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. I really enjoyed our time. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. More for you after this.